on the back post. Mukhtar to serve. Again to the near post. Flicked on and in! And it is Pico! Top bubble from Mukhtar. Big save! Rebound is in! Teal Bombay! Schaffelberg is behind. Schaffelberg! Certainly wins it for Nashville. Ices it. Jacob Schaffelberg! Nashville SC owns Atlanta United. Seven unbeaten against their rivals from the South. Those three goals for Nashville, courtesy of Apple TV. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, the boys in gold beat Atlanta again. They advance in cup competition. They trade away one striker and buy out another. Other than that, not much going on this week. Yeah, just a, just a, a nice uh, light little week, right? But... Uh... No, in all seriousness, uh, a situation that fans have been waiting to see resolved for a long time is finally in the rear view with the Loba situation. And I, I guess you can kind of say the same thing about the will CJ Sapong ever score again situation, too. And of course, um, thumping a rival to end a three game winless streak in the league is is a pretty good way to get back on the positive vibes side of things. Positive vibes, indeed. And we were getting a little bit of the opposite of that after some uh, some restlessness, I think, among the fan base. And while we try not to get on that roller coaster, at least to the extent that that some do. It, it, things weren't trending in the direction I think a lot of people wanted in the early going. And now it seems like things are at least on a better trajectory for this club. Yes, I agree. Things are in a better trajectory for this club. I think you can look at the Atlanta result as a positive in its own right. But then you look at some of the off-field things that seem to be building towards a strong summer. And um, obviously, everything feels like it's headed in and not just a positive direction because of the result, but because of what can be with some of the changes that you've seen. So Atlanta, Ake, CJ, Open Cup, where do you want to start today? Wes, you know I'm a, a roster mechanism sicko, right? The, <laughs> the behind-the-scenes stuff is almost as much fun as the soccer sometimes. Um, this week did provide some stiff competition in that regard, but yeah, yeah let's let's, uh, let's give it the old the old Ake Loba, CJ Sapong treatment. Let's do it. In the early shout, we will talk about Ake Loba's uh, buyout, what it is, what it isn't, what it enables Nashville SC to do, and what some possible next steps might be. And of course, those next steps painted even uh, in, in bolder strokes by the trade of CJ Sapong, uh, another, of course, stalwart striker now gone to Toronto, where he scored in his uh, his opening match. We'll, we'll also dig into Nashville's historical success against Atlanta. What has led to them being so good against a, a franchise that, of course, has an MLS Cup to its name? Uh, and of course, we will touch on the Open Cup as well and the win over uh, San Antonio and what comes next as uh, the boys in gold have their eyes upon Texas uh, once again. In the mailbag, who's going to fill that international slot? What comes next for Nashville there is, of course, they acquired one right before the uh, transfer window closed and then didn't use it at least right away. What's up with that? And outside in, we'll talk about CJ's goal in his first game with Toronto. Also a draw atop the East. Who's the best team in the Eastern Conference right now? We'll get into all of it. But first, Tim, ML Rose. A lot of people were able to hit that place up for brunch before the Atlanta United match and get exposed to yet another wonderful side of this awesome restaurant. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to give people so many recommendations because uh, we, we we were able to Google the Nashville SC schedule and see that a day game was coming up. But um, yeah, and thank you to everybody who reached out and told us that you ordered, um, whether it was it was the ridiculous French toast that we talked about a lot last week or or one of their uh, more standard brunch fare 
And of course, uh, a couple people told me that, uh, and it, maybe I, by the by the sound of their voice, I could I could believe them that they had they had a couple of those brunch cocktails as well. So thank you to everybody who who not only supports ML Rose uh, as a matter of their kind of their soccer diet and their soccer experience, but the people who took our suggestions and and went there because we asked them to. Uh, thank you to all of you who who followed through on that. The go-to place in this, of course, uh, large string of home matches for the club allows plenty of opportunity to establish a rhythm and a routine of orders as well. But then to deviate outside that routine and have a little brunch while you're at it, man, win-win, certainly for Nashville SC supporters. More on ML Rose, of course, later on in the show. But let's send things over to the early shout. Inside the circle, Sapong racing forward. Wide now to Mukhtar near side. His shot is save, rebound, given up. Akeloma! Hammers it home! Ladies and gentlemen, there is your designated player. And there goes your designated player. Thanks for the memories, iHeartRadio, and uh, the very few memories, Ake Loba. Uh, he is no longer a boy in gold. The long designated player nightmare is over. Just to level set a little bit, what was going on, of course, Ake Loba brought in as a designated player striker midseason in 2021, scored just a couple of league goals for the club before he was loaned out this season to Mazatlan, had a promising start there, and then some health issues, injury issues, and was not able to be consistent there either. So Nashville has now terminated his contract. They have not bought out his full contract. More on that in a second. But Tim, walk us through the specifics of this news. What happened and what does this do for Nashville's roster situation? Yeah, well, I guess we can start from the beginning where it, it became pretty apparent that Aki Lobo was not going to be the player that Nashville SC thought and expected. And so this season, after a year and a half, or slightly less than that uh, with Nashville, they they lent him to a Liga MX team in, in Mazatlan. The hope was that he would perform well enough there that the purchase clause in the loan agreement would be exercised this summer, uh, which is which is the end of the season for Mexican clubs. Obviously, it is midseason for Major League Soccer. Um, but, you know, the other option was that a, a wealthier Mexican club would see him pouring in goals with Mazatlan, which he did to start the year before he suffered that season-ending injury. But um, either way, the the idea was that come, come the summer transfer window, he would no longer be on Nashville SC's books. That season engine injury does mean that neither of those things will happen. It will not be Mazatlan. It will not be Monterrey. It will not be Chivas. It will not be America. It will not be a major power in Liga MX, nor will it be Mazatlan. So he was stuck on NSC's books until the end of this season. Um, he's also got a team option for 24. I feel pretty confident that Nashville was not intending to exercise that if he did end up back here in the Music City at the end of that loan. But Given that Nashville was not going to play him, um, they couldn't even play him because he's out injured right now. But and also that they're going to have to pay him. You might as well rip off the Band-Aid now. Um, John Ingram understands the time value of money and negotiating an end to this deal. Um, Lobo almost certainly took a, a slight discount on the money owed, but Nashville can get him off the books. And, and John Ingram can can keep some of his money in, in investments that make value with time. I, I don't know. I ask him. He's the rich guy. <laughs> ask, ask his accountants, whatever it is. Um, you know, that means that Nashville pays him now. And he no longer counts against the salary cap or Nashville SC's DP slot. And that's effective immediately. So um, ending that relationship is something that it, it's it's a little bittersweet because from a roster perspective, it works for Nashville. It's bitter because it it just was something that we had hoped would work out and, and ultimately did not. Yeah. And, and through the the fallacy of sunk costs, you know, obviously we, we can say now today is a win. This is a win now. It was the right decision to make to get out from under this contract. Well, sunk, sunk cost fallacy believers in the mud. 
on this pod. <laughs> we refund it all the time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, also those who believe that small sample sizes are indicative of yeah. uh, future trends. But anyway, uh, as you guys know, it, this this whole situation, though, certainly a saga that, that you know will be looked back on as extremely disappointing for this club. What can they learn from the Ake Loba acquisition? Uh, lack of performance, by the way, two goals in 681 minutes, just four shots on target in his Nashville league tenure. What can they learn from this experience that can help them avoid repeating this mistake in the future? Or is it simply the case that it is really hard to scout players internationally and even at a $6.8 million price point, there's a good chance the player could be a dud. Yeah, I think I think it's probably more the latter because this was a guy whose profile projected to success in Major League Soccer. Whenever you see guys come over from Liga MX, and especially when they come over from one of the powers, he had played for Monterey before coming to Nashville. That is not like that is a club that is bigger than any club in the United States by by matters of degree. It is probably the second largest club in Mexico behind America. Um, Chief Austin in the mud now too. We're just out here uh, giving people all sorts of L's, but um, you know that you <laughs> you expect a player with that profile to project to major league soccer. And maybe in a different situation, he could the one scouting principle that I guess I would take into mind is you need to understand that if a guy is not currently necessarily a perfect system fit for you, you cannot assume that he's going to be ready to kind of adapt his game to what you need to do. And we've talked um, over time about what he was unable to do, which a lot of that was, was be a little bit more secure in possession. I think that Mike Jacobs and, and uh, to a lesser extent, Gary Smith believed that he would be able to add that to his game. And then for multiple reasons, some of that being um, nobody on the team spoke his first language, except for Brian Anunga, um, French. Uh, I assume Alex Muehl also speaks it. I wrote this in my story yesterday when the news broke, but Alex Muehl's parents are, are French ex- expats, I believe, who met in New York. And, and so he probably speaks some French too, but uh, you know, having to communicate in his second language, which is Spanish, which is obviously not the language that the head coach speaks or that the members of the staff speak. It was a situation where there was going to be a learning curve and and that's not damning in itself. But when you kind of add up some of these factors that that kind of compile and compound and, and make it so if any one of them goes a little too wrong, it's going to be tough for Loba to either play catch up or to, to kind of get to where he was expected. Um, you know, you need to scout guys that that fit in your system or you can prepare them to fit in your system a little bit better. And um, you know, the expectation was that Lobo fit into the ladder and, and kind of seeing a, a, a failure of that, that scouting kind of gives you an indication of, of how to more accurately pursue it in the future. Yes. So find a better fit with the system and, or, maybe even write a bigger check so that the the player that you're bringing in I mean, the it, thing is it, this is a this is a dude again this is a dude coming from monterey who had scored goals for monterey yeah. he's not an every every match player in their starting 11 but um the expectation that a dude who who succeeds in mls is or in Liga mx is going to succeed in mls is is much more like raul rui diaz than mm-hmm. i don't know somebody somebody who who i guess yes. turned out to be I, I do see wisdom though in, in saying, you know, the, the more money you shell out, as long as you know you're you're scouting adequately and bringing in a player who meets that value with prior performance, the better mm-hmm. likelihood that that player can fit if they also fit your positional profile for the position. And that's where I think, yeah, the biggest error was made here. And as you mentioned, hoping that he would adapt and be able to be versatile. I saw one person on Twitter, and I'm sorry I'm not giving credit because I forget who it was, say. 
I don't want the press conference for whoever this new DP is to talk about how they can play all three positions up top. Let them do one thing very well, and that is stand Uh-oh. at the number nine and bang in goals. <laughs> Stay tuned. Wes is going to rip on my choice for, for replacing Loba. In the <laughs> I, I'm not going to rip on. I'm quoting somebody else here, but I do understand <laughs> that mentality. I think you need yeah. some versatility. See Hani Mukhtar and the way he's been able to you know, to grow his game and be and be versatile, of course, being the um, extreme exception on the positive side of that. But let's get back to that replacement conversation. When can Nashville replace Ake Loba? And do you think that's why the club acquired the international slot before the trade window? Or do you think that was a separate deal that just didn't end up happening? The roster mechanisms, which are the DP slot and the salary budget that that was also included in the investment in Loba, are both immediately available However, they can't sign anyone who is currently registered in a different country because the transfer window closed back on April 24th. So anybody signed before the window reopens in July on the, uh, I think it's July 5th, if I recall correctly, they either have to come from a domestic league, which is not including MLS because the league rules state that player trades have to come during transfer windows. You can trade allocation money whenever the heck you want. But if a player is involved, it has to come in the FIFA transfer windows. The other option is to sign someone who's out of contract, which is somebody who's not currently registered in a federation that is not USSF. So the pickings are slim. I'm starting with the the former uh, sort of loophole, I guess. Uh, a USL player um, would technically be available. <laughs> I doubt they're likely to be DP worthy. Well, I, I think you could certainly see a guy who's like, you know, excelling in USL this year or um, excelling in an independent MLS Next Pro or, or USL League One team. Could could be signed to a non DP slot. Could be signed to a, a lesser value contract, to a striker position. I don't necessarily think that kind of fills the Loba void, right? Or, or I guess if you're looking for a guy to be the 18th guy on the bench, maybe it does. But um, in terms of of guys who are out of contract around the world, there's really only one uh, that that uh, per transfer market at least. Um, Hamas Rodriguez. It's I looked at it. It's actually a perfect fit. Oh, man. Let's, let's make it happen, Mike Jacobs. Bring it in. As for, yeah. As as for whether that's why they got the international slot, they had intended to use it while the transfer window was still open. Um, so it could pay, pay off by having it available now because because Nashville SC is going to sign James Rodriguez. I've, I've written it in stone there. Not Breaking news. I thought of it while we were preparing <laughs> for the show. Um, it could pay off in being available before the window opens, but really... They got it because they had intended to use it back in April. Um, again, having it now leaves the possibilities for thing other things open, like for example, James Rodriguez, who will sign with Nashville SC. <laughs> but but that'd be almost uh, not quite a happy coincidence. Which even though that's what I wrote in the rundown, because they acquired that slot to use it, just because they didn't use it doesn't mean you know they weren't planning to eventually. But um, you know they would like to get some use out of it. Otherwise, they could have waited and bought it for a little bit cheaper in the summer. And now we sit and watch the content aggregation machine do its work. And by the end of the day, we're going to have Rodriguez to Nashville. Sources indicate um, we will see. Uh, but but what is the positional profile of the player you think Nashville should should bring in? Um, and, and, and by the way, we've got a lot of questions about this. So you're mm-hmm. not going to hear questions listed in the mailbag, but Nick Poe, Stukes. I think there was there was another person, Tre- Trev, Trevor, I think, who asked this. Yeah. What what's the positional profile here? Who's on the short list? We know obviously a number nine is going to be the ideal the ideal target yeah. here. What's up? What what what? Not only who is the player, but what's the type of player Nashville needs here? Yeah, no. Now that I looked, it's it's all Hamas for me. <laughs> he's he's a playmaker <laughs> who can be anywhere in a front four, which is uh, what what we just said that Nashville doesn't want. Um, but he could take pressure off on it. He is a true creator, but 
He has a bit of an opportunity to play up top. He hasn't historically done that. Some of that is because he's playing uh, for minuscule clubs like Real Madrid. So, you know, they they need him to play deeper on the field if you're if you're a poverty club like that, unlike a major league soccer club. But um, he's a he's a more versatile like Chicharito type. He's a goal getter, even though he has historically been a bit more of a number 10. He could be a second striker and let Hani play up top or let Hani be more of a creator. And they, you know, he can play on either wing. That's a guy that could really help this Nashville C team. Otherwise, I think the positional profile that has seemed obvious for a really long time, which is a striker who excels in hold-up play and can be kind of the the guy who gets the garbage goals. If you saw the way Teal Bunbury scored against Atlanta United, and if you are listening to this podcast, you probably did, a guy who's who's ready to poach onto that the end of that rebound and, and be in the right place at the right time is probably a guy that makes a lot of sense, especially when you consider that Randall Layall's uh, hopeful return is something that's going to produce some more long shots and, and spilled rebounds. But it's all, it's all Hamas. It's all Hamas for you. I, I mean, I see the fit for for sure with the versatility. I, and I know that's mentioning a minute ago that that's, you know, what what at least that that supporter undermined in that tweet and what I, I see the point there. But but I do I do very much enjoy the idea of somebody who can be, you know, positionally fluid as long as the, the chief focus is being up top. And I don't know that I mean, obviously Rodriguez would have overwhelming quality for this league, but but, you know, kind of a different profile than what think they'll go for which is somebody who is as you mentioned a little more you know traditional number nine up top with some good hold up play I want to give you a couple of names here one of which we mentioned a couple of weeks ago one of which is totally pie in the sky but there is a connection the pie in the sky one of course first is Bobby Firmino yeah uh I'm going to be out of contract with Liverpool we know of course the Liverpool connection with Ian Eyre current market value according to transfer market imperfect but for what it's worth around 22 million dollars prohibitive cost uh, even if it's not quite that much I guess for Nashville to pursue somebody like Firmino he's not going to take a discount just to come play under Ian Eyre I don't know man you've got all these pictures of them holding up a jersey together that's that's <laughs> when you know somebody is is somebody that you really take a take a big pay cut for um positional fit wise yeah he is yeah. he's a he's a link up uh, you know he plays a lot on the wing but can be kind of a a more versatile striker type so yeah that would be perfect do i think it's realistic i do not think it's no, real so. i don't either so <laughs> wanted to get that name out of the way because i think there's yeah. going to be some folks talking about it and and we want to tell you hey talk about it for fit don't talk about it for yeah. realism purposes but, <laughs> but cc west ham bobby firmino out of contract this summer <laughs> maybe a more likely opportunity since it looks like they're going to hang on in the premier league this year and mm-hmm. get to but now maybe i'm jinxing it and that's fine if i do so <laughs> uh, another name that I, we've mentioned before that now that we're a little closer to to the signing date i want to see if there's any additional insight here is, is adam buxa proven mls production he's in france right now he's not doing as much there but he, for new england he was head and shoulders you know above his early production with the club he, he stepped up he did great things he got sold over to europe uh, there have been reports, you know, Taylor Twelman speculating that he'd be shocked if if Buxa isn't, you know, on an MLS roster this summer. I mean, now that we're a little closer to this, now that Loeb was bought out, is this? I guess I'll ask you to handicap it. What are the odds? What do you get? Five to five, you know, five to one, ten to one. What's what's the likelihood that he is on Nashville's roster this year? I don't know how to gamble, but I, I would think it's of the guys that we've mentioned so far, it's the highest likelihood for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, he's he's hardly getting time. For for lens, it's probably like long or something. I don't know how to say it. I don't uh, care how to say try. it. Um, you're you're the one. You're the one with the French Canadian wife, so you can you can live and die with our with our uh, French pronunciations. But um, yeah, I, I don't think that that he's happy there, and I think that we have seen that he can be really successful 
in Major League Soccer. Uh, New England Revolution uh, has kind of a similar DNA to Nashville SC. Guys who have experience in the league are obviously ones that don't carry some of the same risks that Loba did coming in. You know what a guy is going to perform like in MLS if you pop in film from 16 months ago, whenever it was, not even that long ago. So he's a guy that you have the tape that he can potentially succeed. New England system is not very dissimilar to Nashville's. I do think that what we have seen out of him would make him a good fit. He he has everything that Nashville wants. It's just a matter of, do you want to wait until the summer to fill that spot? Or Thomas Rodriguez is right out there. But um, I, I almost wonder if, if Buxa would have his contract with with loans terminated because he's having such a bad time there. Mm-hmm. That would make him a free agent and make him eligible to to be signed by Nashville. I think the league might look upon that as as potentially tampering, but uh, I don't know that for sure because they yeah. they can be sticklers about some of the things. If if you aren't Chris Klein, they they really look into what <laughs> you're actually doing. So um yeah, but but it would be a good fit and it makes a lot of sense. I think again, it's it's far more likely than Roberto Firmino who is going to yeah. stay in a big five league. Uh Hamas Hamas is coming to Nashville, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think Buxo is is probably among those three, the, the actual most realistic. My last question here: Do you think Nashville knows who it's going to sign? Is this yeah, person probably. in the back pocket? Yeah, I think probably. I don't know if they have a kind of a deal agreed to, but I think they know who their number one and number two targets, and they have a really good idea that they will land number one, even if it's not you know, kind of a handshake agreement that that's going to be the case. And if something falls through there, they they know that they will get number two and number two knows mm-hmm. where number two stands on the board. So I do think it is a situation where every everybody kind of has their cards out on the table. Yeah, and keep in mind that again, okay, they can show them is... to me if they want. Uh, yeah, we'll work on w.sullivan1 our... at gmail.com. We'll work on our sources. Contact us at Signal as well for <laughs> a confidential conversation. Uh, and, and I say that because you know, Ake Loba was again about an 18 month pursuit. These things don't happen overnight. Yeah. They're not just now going shopping. Uh, they've been far shopping. longer than that. It's like two or three years. Uh, yeah, it's true. I knew I knew about him before this club was even in Major League Soccer. As a target. And I didn't just know about him. I knew about him as a Nashville SE future (laughs) player. (laughs) And that's why you listen to this show. We got history, folks, with this club. We have history. All right, let's move on now to to the more, uh, you know, on-field piece of this, obviously. A win over Atlanta United as the Diamond delivers for the boys in gold yet again. Four points now in the last two matches against two of the priciest rosters in MLS, LAFC, Atlanta United. I think that that any supporter is going to take that total in those two matches, especially with the win coming against the Southern rival once again. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you got to say that Nashville has Atlanta's number, right? Um, realistically, Atlanta was a bit of a paper tiger coming in. It's a decent team, but they have had a pretty bad defense this year. That's especially true. I think everybody knows that I'm not a huge Brad Guzan fan, but when he's out, the players that can't beat him out as a starting keeper are probably not going to be better. Um, so you don't have a keeper that's making up for bad defense. And in attack, they're over-reliant on the individual brilliance of Thiago Almada. I mean, he's obviously an outstanding player, but unlike a, a guy like Hani Mukhtar, whose importance to Nashville's attack could be described basically the exact same, if Almada can't can't get on the ball, uh, he doesn't manufacture ways to find the game, and that's something that Nashville has has done an okay job with. And, and Hani individually has done yeoman's work, making sure that he's not completely shut out of a game. And um, when you, when a team like that comes to town, um, they're still, you know, number three in the table. I believe they remain number three in the table after the weekend. And you, you don't kind of look past them, especially when they're a rival, but I think Nashville did what they should have and needed to do. 
was so interesting to me that this has happened now under a couple different managers uh, for Atlanta that Nashville has bossed midfield and Atlanta left that midfield widely open. They, they sank some, some numbers back in defense. They had, you know, wanted to play a possession game out of the back and they had some players far forward. And then the midfield was just a gulf and it enabled Nashville. I thought Tim to get some confidence on the ball, to take some chances, to string some passes together. And then once they were ahead, I tweeted, man, the game state works perfectly for what Nashville wants to do now, which is to let, let Atlanta mm-hmm. possess in non-dangerous areas to counter. And a couple of counterattacks resulted in, you know, the best attacking performance of the year for this team. Yeah. And it's interesting because of the way that they did it. They, they pressed hard early and Atlanta was completely stumped. They did not know how to get out of it. Yeah. You'd expect with all the money that they spent on their midfield, they'd have a little bit more ability to do that. But um, once Nashville got the lead, they were able to play the game that they wanted to play, a game that they more typically play in a, mm-hmm. a 4-4-2 block defensively. And um, Atlanta essentially played right into their hands, pushing numbers forward and letting Nashville counter. And give Gary Smith credit, especially in rivalry matches. I will. Good job, Gary. You good job, Gary. Pat on the back. Pat on the microphone. Don't know if that came through. Um, give him credit because when when he has a rivalry match, and and again, most home matches, he really does want to take the game to the other team. On the road, we know what Nashville often is, right? Take take your chances when you have them. You're not going to have twenty at home. He does want to create some pressure and put the onus on on you know the uh, the opponent to respond. I don't think he gets enough credit for that all the time at home. And I think we'll, we'll sit here and certainly point to this Atlanta match as an example of, of the team taking the game to Atlanta rather than just allowing them to, to possess that, that press was effective. It did throw them off and it resulted in Atlanta having still about two thirds of the ball in the first 15 minutes or so and Nashville having three fourths of the chances, uh, which is exactly where Nashville likes to be getting into the trends now against Atlanta United. And these are our gold nuggets. Nashville now unbeaten in its last seven meetings with Atlanta. They back states back to August of 2020, a two, no loss. The one game that pity Martinez played well for Atlanta. Uh, Four of those seven results have been wins. Of course, one in the open cup, but Tim, to me, that's not the most eye popping number. What impresses me is that in every one of those seven matches, Nashville has scored at least two goals. They've gotten the attacking going against this Atlanta team. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's reputation as an exciting team, which they've had sometimes when they don't deserve it. Um, that, that cuts both ways, right? It, it's worth noting that they've that they've mostly stunk in the attack since Miguel Almiron left. Um, hopefully for them, Almada can change that. But the, the defensive efforts have not always been great for Atlanta. They came in as a, as a mediocre defensive team, and that does not take away from what Nashville SC did. When you have, uh, you, especially when you, I guess when you're visiting a rival's house, you go in and you say, okay, what we want to do is not lose 3-1. You might not be quite so precise, but Atlanta didn't really have ways to, to get into the game early. They possessed a lot, but did absolutely nothing. And Nashville took advantage. Nashville did exactly what Nashville wants to do, as we, as we previously mentioned. And that's once you get that lead, let Atlanta beat themselves, essentially, by giving mm-hmm. up the count. It has been a fun series. A total of 35 goals scored between the two teams in their nine all-time meetings. Nashville leading that count 19 to 16. So that's uh, four combined goals per game between these teams. That 19 goals that Nashville scored, though, against Atlanta, second most goals per match against an opponent that Nashville's played more than just a couple of times. Can you guess? Can't imagine. Can't Can imagine guess who's in first place. Might be. We'll go ahead uh, and give three <laughs> seconds for our audience to go ahead and say it out loud in their cars or at work. Yes, it's Cincinnati. And for those of you whose colleagues just looked at you like, why are you talking about the <laughs> city with, with actually pretty good underrated chili? Yes, 
Nashville scored 12 goals in five meetings with FC Cincinnati. Of course, six of them came in one occasion. Uh, so my terrible math tells me that's 2.4 goals per match against Cincinnati. Who's who's shocked that they would lead the way? Yeah, I mean, like uh, like I said, Atlanta's defensive efforts have been mostly overrated because people remember the the olden times in Atlanta. <laughs> uh, Cincinnati, you don't you don't have to strain to remember when they were terrible, and they were also terrible in attack. <laughs> they were terrible defensively and in attack for the first couple of years of their existence. Obviously, they are much better now. I, I would not imagine that Nashville is going to be blitzing them on the regular anymore. But uh, when they uh, play again, I think Nashville is going to be looking for a bit of revenge and might be willing to play a bit more open of a game. But yeah, a big part of that is um, it's, it, it pays to have rivals who stink. Frankly, <laughs> so, so thank you, Cincinnati, for the first three years, and uh, may this Pat Noonan Renaissance be short-lived. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, uh, Nashville, of course, beat Atlanta in the U.S. Open Cup last year, and in my attempt at a smooth segue that I just ruined by saying it would be a smooth <laughs> segue, it has advanced to the round of 32 in this year's U.S. Open Cup after a 1-0 win over San Antonio. Let's revisit the starting 11s that we recommended and what Nashville ended up doing, we did pretty well, Tim. We each got nine starters correct out of the 11. Um, I think I'm dinged a little bit because one of my proposed starters was no longer on the team uh, by, by kickoff time. I think, I think that gives you, I think that gives you an out actually. That's true because of course, if CJ Sapong were not starting, I would have absolutely picked Alex wheel to be in his place. That's, that's the move I would have made. Um, I missed wheel and I missed Lawrence White. Uh, Shaq Moore uh, was the one that I recommended as as a bit of a first team, you know, punch in there. Worked out well to rotate, though. Nashville went with a largely second choice side, even got a Huntsville player in there and Joey Desart for his club debut uh, and uh, was able to obviously then preserve energy for Atlanta, which which worked mm-hmm. out quite well. Uh, you nailed the formation, by the way. You got the three slash five man uh, back line. You just missed a couple of, of uh, you know, like for like uh Alex Mwiel for Hawkinson, Schaffelberg for Pico, if my records there are correct. So not bad. Not bad, Tim. You Thank win. you. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate that. And we're not going to spend five minutes on, on the U.S. Open Cup because it was a largely lackluster match. That, 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 that is far more action than there was in the game. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. There wasn't much, nor was there ever going to be much. But Tim, it was exactly what Nashville needed, which was to rotate and gut your way to a win, which is more than could be said for Atlanta or San Jose, for instance. Yeah, I mean, it, it was not a thrilling game. We 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 joke, but that's that's what San Antonio wanted to do. And if you remember back to the USL days for Nashville, that was what they would have tried to do against a major league soccer team. They essentially did it against Colorado Rapids the, the time that they got the win at Vanderbilt Stadium. They uh, they benefited from an own goal, of course. But um, you you go out and you focus on not getting scored on, and then you see what can happen on the other end. Um, San Antonio takes that to an extreme. <laughs> they really focus on sucking the life out of a contest. Um, they're an embodiment of what national media members think Nashville plays like a lot of the time. <laughs> um, NSC was willing to let that be the case for the most part because they wanted it to be a low-scoring game when you have uh, the players who are going to be the difference makers in the attack. And Nashville got that, and that's all you need. There's a cup competition. There are no style points. You are on to the round of 32, and that is all that your mandate is for that contest. In the round of 32, FC Dallas will come to town. And Tim, I think in this case, if it's a you know USL championship or lower team coming to Nashville, you probably see Nashville follow a similar approach and rotate, maybe not quite as heavily. With Dallas coming to town, do you sacrifice some fresh legs for you know the the next MLS match? 
and play a stronger side against a fellow MLS team? Or do you hope that Dallas will rotate heavily? You still rotate fairly heavily and whoever's second side advances then really gets to focus on this turning in the round of 16. Yeah, I think Dallas is is likely to rotate somewhat heavily, especially because it is a road match for them. And I think, I think it's at a stage of the season where Nashville hosts Chicago this weekend, travels uh, um, to D.C. the following weekend. It's not the toughest stretch of the schedule, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, thanks to a couple people who asked versions of a mailbag question about that. But I think Nashville has the has I don't want to say depth because we've been bemoaning their depth all, uh, pretty much all year. But I think they have a reason to especially if Dallas doesn't bring a full squad, say, hey, we'll run out a good enough team to win. And if that's a first choice 11, then that's a first choice 11. I think it it would be a slightly less rotated version than what we saw against San Antonio FC. But um, certainly it it could be some slight rotation, more guys that are typically in the 18 than guys that are typically uh, in Alabama. (laughs) But it is a situation where uh, I think Nashville, at least for one more round, is saying, okay, we will we will risk the fatigue in order to get a result here. Nashville and Dallas, 7.30 p.m. Wednesday, May 10th. I keep hoping they're going to have these U.S. Open Cup kickoffs earlier so that I can take my little guy. I think it's a good chance at a lower cost to get some fans into the stadium who normally wouldn't go. Uh, 5 p.m. kick would be awesome for those of us with two-year-olds, just saying. But I don't know how much control Nashville has over that, and it will be again 7.30, which does give plenty of MLRO's happy hour time, of course, before uh, before the match that's just my little little vent as a uh, as a hashtag toddler dad um all right on to the other big news of the week as it was loaded cj sapong goes to toronto in exchange for lucas mcnaughton who will ostensibly be nashville's third center back there's some gam coming nashville's way as well and so essentially tim nashville gets the player that was going to you know be nick depew if he'd been healthy this year so essentially that unexpected injury or maybe unfully diagnosed injury, depending on who you talk to um, or undisclosed maybe from LA that injury cost them CJ Sapong ultimately, because they have to trade him away to essentially bring in the player that, mm-hmm. that replaces Depew. Yeah. What do you know about McNaughton? And we will know who won this trade down the road. You never know when the trade happens, but who do you, who do you lean toward as getting the better end of this deal? Uh, to be honest, McNaughton does not come particularly well-reviewed from Toronto FC fans. He's only been there um, for a little while, and, and it's worth noting uh, a, a certain other guy that was not well-reviewed by Toronto FC fans was Jacob Schaffelberg, and I think you could say that that has worked out extremely well for Nashville SC. So um, maybe the, the talentometer is miscalibrated north of the border. That might explain some of their uh, results over the past couple of years, too. But uh, McNaughton is most likely a, a depth piece, though. One will, who will get his chance to work into the lineup. Um, from a positional fit and budget perspective, though, it's a win. Um, you're unloading an expensive striker who isn't scoring. Although um, Michael Singh, who covers TFC in Toronto, mentioned that Nashville still is paying some of his salary. So um, CJ Sapong might still be a little bit expensive for Nashville. But yeah. you're replacing you're replacing him with an inexpensive center back, which is a position of need. Of course, it also opens up the striker depth chart for when James Rodriguez comes in. Um, and, uh, of course, it was nice to see um, CJ score in his debut for the Reds. Um, and Sometimes a change in scenery can help a guy break out of a slump. Would CJ have scored if he were in Nashville last weekend? I don't know, but um, we do know that he seemed to um, get the job done. Well, he didn't seem to get, he definitely did get the job done uh, for Toronto over the weekend. And, and so it's a win-win for him too. If CJ's back post in the same place that Fafa Pico is standing yeah. on that corner, he's he's scoring that and he's breaking his goal of streak. But nonetheless, uh, the numbers on McNaughton 
<clears throat> excuse me, 28 uh, career appearances in MLS, 22 starts as last year was his first in the league, 20 starts for Toronto and, and just two starts and three appearances this year before coming over. He was not in the 18 for Nashville against Atlanta as he's, you know, obviously working his way in uh, just a, a little bit. I understand the move. I understand, you know, giving up Sapong for a position of dire need, especially heading into uh, a part of, of the year where you're going to hopefully be competing for three trophies and you're going to need to rotate. I totally get it, especially after seeing what happened when Walker Zimmerman had to leave the match against LAFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hate that it didn't work out with Sapong. Anytime you can send him out and get some gam plus a player in, in exchange uh, that you need, I, I think it makes sense. But I think we have to be careful not to look at any one move as a, a, its own entity, but but put it in the tapestry of, of the larger goings on. And if Nashville is able to bring in a striker again to uh, to replace Sapong slash Loba there, uh, they're they're going to put themselves in a really, really good place. And I don't think CJ is going to be going to be missed in the near term, but obviously will be appreciated for what he did, especially in 2021 and early in 2022. So uh, very interesting to see uh, how things will transpire with with McNaughton and how early he will work his way in to uh, m- maybe it's a U.S. Open Cup debut for him for the club here um, in, in a few days. We'll see. Uh Question here from Austin Beaver. Uh, we'll, we'll take the mailbag at this point since it's about, about CJ. Does his goal in Toronto, more specifically the way it happened, typical CJ hold-up play positioning in box, does that show more how Nashville lacks the consistent ability to get in the final third and complete the final dangerous pass, or more that CJ just needed to move on? Yeah, I don't think it necessarily says anything, really. It, although if it said either of those things, probably leaning toward the latter, like I mentioned, a fresh start can really um, give guys a, a perspective to to get back to where they expect themselves to be. Those opportunities were there for CJ in Nashville. He just didn't finish them. And, yeah. and that's statistical randomness just as much as it might be uh what do english people say bottling it or whatever <laughs> but bunbury's goal against atlanta was the exact same type of play um to, to a large extent just being in a striker position and, and getting your foot on the ball national toronto have created essentially the same expected goals this year 11.5 for toronto to 11 for nashville and if you look at only strikers all three of nashville's including honey but also including sapong before his performance for toronto this weekend have accounted for more than every striker on toronto's roster combined Toronto has four strikers who played before CJ played um, for them this weekend, and they have combined for less expected or fewer expected goals. Excuse me. Holy smokes. Less XG, I guess, than Teal Bunbury alone. So it's not like Nashville hasn't been creating and hasn't been creating for the striker. Sometimes the ball just goes in and sometimes it doesn't. CJ had five expected goals between his last goal in May and the one over the weekend. The problem was not the opportunity, and, and that's not any knock on CJ. Like I said, it's statistically unlikely, but statistically unlikely things happen even for good players. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, CJ Spong scores a nice transitional goal for Toronto. But if that exact same play happens for Nashville, it's probably Hani Mukhtar passing it to Fafa Pico or Jacob Schaffelberg this year, just yeah. given why they were brought in, which is to give that speed in such situations. So a goal that looked great for CJ in Toronto is not a goal he might have even been asked to try to score yeah. in Nashville. What is unfortunate for CJ Sapong is that he's now a whole country away from ML Rose instead of <laughs> having it near his workplace. And uh, yeah, that's a big loss for him, but we get to continue to enjoy it. And Tim, I was, I was laughing. I was clearing out some old data and I came across like a G chat between me and my wife from 2012, I believe it was. Yeah. If we, it was a G chat, it's not going to be like exactly. the last couple or of years. Google Hangouts or Spaces yeah. or whatever they've rebranded yeah. it as five times. 
and we're talking about going to trivia night at ML Rose. It's fun because not only were we just making the plan, but I was telling her how much I enjoyed it and how amazing the the loaded fries were. So, uh, you know, anybody who may question our loyalty to a place, or maybe they're just writing you a check every month. And you, so you're talking about them. I mean, yes, it is a business partnership, but with a place that we have long appreciated and known. Uh, I think I was actually also educating her that, oh, they're opening a new location in West Nashville and they're renaming from Melrose to ML Rose because it makes more sense to broaden the brand when they're not just in the Melrose neighborhood. So I was in on this thing early in case anybody asks. And I know, Tim, you are too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned trivia because uh, that is actually the first place when I first moved to Nashville that I played trivia. Anybody who knows me knows I'm an insane trivia weirdo. <laughs> Uh, and I, I wear that on my sleeve. I have Shocking. no shame about it at all. But uh, yeah, that that's, you know, we talk regularly about how it's not just about food. It's not just about drinks, um, despite the fact that they have elite offerings in each of those categories. It's about the community. And that's not just the soccer community, although from our perspective, that's an extraordinarily important part of what ML Rose provides, but they want to be a part of the, the broader community, the one on 8th South, the one that we that we talk about the most, um, that is a 14 minute and 20 second walk from Geodis Park, um, wants to be part of the ML or the Melrose community. That's a, almost a tongue twister. It's a brain twister. Um, the one the one that's closer to us wants to be part of the Sylvan Park slash um, nations community. These are places that want to be part of the fabric of Nashville and have successfully interwoven themselves into that. And that's something that will, is one of the reasons that we're very proud to partner with that. Such a good place. And it's, it's cool because not only do I have great, great trivia memories with, with my wife and her friends and you have great trivia memories there, but I also remember the exact food that I ordered and like, can mm -hmm. see it visually on the, on the plate 11, 12 years later. And <laughs> I, I don't think I can say that about a lot of restaurants. There are others. I have a photographic memory, I guess, in that respect, but not many that are worthy of holding on to and, and moving from the short term to the long term consciousness like ML Rose. So if for some reason you haven't been yet, we're not going to judge you. Uh, we know many of you have gone because of this show or because of the recommendations we've given, but check it out. You won't regret it. You can make a lot more memories there. Way bigger than just the great food, but you're going to remember the food too. That's that's the important note there. 8th Avenue ML Rose, check it out. Many chances. Again, home match against Chicago, home match against Dallas and US Open Cup. So more opportunities to come. All right, the mailbag. This is a long episode, by the way, and the mailbag robust as well. So thanks for hanging with us. We hope it's been substantive and enjoyable for you. Logan Elliott is our Helen Thomas. For decades, 10 different U.S. presidents, Helen Thomas, uh, led off the White House press briefing every single day. And Logan's kind of becoming that with our mailbag. So Logan, you are the Helen Thomas of the Club and Country podcast. Congratulations on a title you never thought you'd earn. And shout out to Helen Thomas for being a graduate of Detroit Martin Luther King High School and Wayne State University, one down the road from where I lived in Detroit. The other, the reason I lived in Detroit, because my wife went to Wayne State for med school. Didn't know we'd be talking about it. They were, they were different classes, different graduating classes. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll, I'll stop with the joke. <laughs> Logan Elliott, the new... Anyway, four, Logan asks. Uh, the new the new diamond formation, uh, he calls it a 4-1-2-1-2, which, yeah, it's a lot to to throw out over audio, but that's that's about what it is. It appears to be working quite well. Whenever Randall Al is fully fit, where do we think he might fit in to this formation? Tim. Yeah, I, well, first I want to say... I I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily a permanent deal by any stretch. It hasn't lasted a full 90 yet. It's kind of a situational thing, but Lael can play a number of different positions in that. He can be 
one of the two strikers. He can be the the 10. Obviously, he would play the 10 in a very different way than Hani Mukhtar plays it. Or he could be either of the shuttlers. This is a guy whose versatility I think people are forgetting because he's been out almost this entire year. So I, I think he could play pretty much anywhere. In it, and, and that's part of what makes it a good fit for when he does return is because his versatility is, is pretty uh, in line with the way that the four diamond two allows the the positions to be played. I love him at the top of uh, of a diamond. I think he's a really good fit as the you know number eight slash ten, which moves Hani to second striker. Uh, but certainly with that versatility, and, and we know what he can do with his wide play, with tracking back, with winning 50-50s. I think he really is, as you mentioned, really good for uh, for that kind of formation as a shuttler or um, or as a uh, as the kind of number ten playmaker there with a bit of a freelance role at the top, uh, pressing as well. Uh, you know, he can do that quite well. So I, I don't think this is the last time we're going to see the diamond. I'm not sure that it is Nashville's new way to play, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is, as as you said just now and before, it's a tool in the toolkit that Nashville knows it can pull out with, with success. Yeah, we've seen it before and we will see it again. It's just something that is more of a situational deal. Often it kind of looks like more like a flat three and then a one, two. I'm going forward from the from the um, back to front, but it is something that if you kind of stretch that number ten a little farther forward, we saw Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty play up there uh, at times. And Nashville does like to kind of rotate guys through different positions, especially because that diamond they use as a pressing formation. So they want to be able to keep guys fresh by by kind of rotating through the more strenuous to least strenuous spots to make sure they have 90 minutes worth of that if they need it. And um, that's another thing where it's going to take like, all the time to get back to fitness, but he has a 90-minute fit player when he's back to full strength too. And it, it works out for a number of different reasons, and that's why we will see it again. For those following along in the rundown, Tim, I'm going to skip the next question and come back to it and talk a little more tactics here. Um, so if you'll turn in your hymnals, please, to page six of our rundown. <laughs> Um, a couple of questions about Schaffelberg versus Alex and Wheel that I think relate to the formation conversation that we're having. Steph, why do we think that Wheel is getting the start over Schaff? I think they both have the same work rate, but one is with purpose while the other is not. Ouch, Steph. But one is certainly with results. I'll give you that. Um, and Cam, what do you think about the recent trend of Schaffelberg coming on as a super sub in minutes 60 or 70? Does Gary prefer to have him come on late against tired back lines? Is it related to injury? Hard to argue with Saturday's result but curious about the future. And Tim, I say that I think that wheels probably a better fit in a diamond type of situation mm -hmm. uh, playing narrow versus Schaffelberg playing wider wants to have his, his chalk on his boots. Is that the main reason you think Alex has gotten the start or is there something else we're talking about here? First, thank you to Steph for the question. I'm doing my best to manifest Hamas in Nashville for you. Yes. Um, but, um, I, I think, I think what you just said makes sense. And that's part of that is because, Fans need to sometimes look past what Muil does or does not provide an attack and realize that what he provides defensively is, is really important. Um, Nashville's going to possess the ball for for 45% of a game, often less, sometimes a little bit more, but his defensive effort is, is going to account for 55% of, of time on the clock, 55% of passes. However, um, possession is calculated by your data provider of choice. So you need a guy who is going to have the defensive chops that he provides. Um, as for then having that guy harassing you all over the pitch and then a speedy guy like Schaffelberg coming on. Yeah. I think what Cam says makes a lot of sense. I'll take that. you you have a full health, uh, 
Schaffelberg, you still can use him as a late game sub. And then when Nashville is, is back to full strength, especially when striker depth is addressed, um, I think Schaffelberg is in the starting lineup nonetheless. Will still has a role to play. He can play on the opposite wing or he can play as one of the holding midfielders. He can play as a shuttler in that diamond, like you mentioned. Um, the reason that we skipped ahead in the rundown to this question is because it is a good fit for Will. Um, Will can basically play anywhere. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he could play a, a pure fullback or even a center back spot if he was really asked to. And that's part of what makes him a player that really has Gary Smith's heart. And so he will continue to have a role. But I think once Nashville has a little bit more uh, of their first choice 11 available all the time, I think Schaffelberg is the guy who's more likely to be in the starting lineup than Will. Certainly in a 4-2-3-1 in, in a yeah. place where width is in a premium. That's that's why you bring him in. But man, I do absolutely love him as a guy who can you know wear you out. A, a, an attacking version of Taylor Washington there, who is an attacker this year by virtue of his goal. Uh, but but just come in and it's the guy you look at and you're like, oh, come on. No, I don't want to race with him right now. I'm worn out or I'm on a yellow card. I think it makes perfect sense uh, and, and, and versatility, not just in what he can do on the pitch, but in uh, and when you can use him. And man, the, the speed he showed on that goal, splitting defenders, getting past them. It's a lot of people telling me Miles Robinson is the fastest guy in MLS. I think Schaffelberg might pick to just there. <laughs> in that moment, he was definitely not. He yeah. was definitely not. It, it I, I, re- I had to rewind it uh, and, and watch it again on replay a couple times. Like, that couldn't possibly have been Miles Robinson who looked like he was standing <laughs> still, could it? Shocking. Shocking. It was it was kind of like watching, you know, high school recruiting tape, as I know, you know, you you do in your day job a, a decent amount, uh, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And seeing that running back, you're like, I don't, I don't think he's going to get to the next level. Oh, he just got past the next level. There he goes. It was like, all right. Good job, good run, Shaft. Self selfless run. You're probably going to get cut off now. No harm. No. Whoa, you did it. I, I mean, it's 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 the ultimate Gary conundrum because he always wants to start a player who has scored in the prior match. Always yeah. wants to. Almost always does. And yet he's scoring in that case in a moment where, you know, maybe if it's against fresh the, legs, yeah. The he fact that he's on late in the game is why he <laughs> scores. It's yeah. It's a real catch twenty two. Maybe he'll just. Uh, Maybe maybe it'll keep Schaffelberg from catching the eleven, the catch twenty two. We'll see. That was a rough one. All right. So going back to the, to the idea of expectations coming up now and what Nashville just survived. John Mueller asking if this stretch of games, the boys and gold just wrapped up, is uh, the roughest of the season. How should their performance so far this season change our expectations as fans? And Joel echoing that theme, talking about what's coming up now. May is full of games against teams ranked lower in the table. How many points do you think Nashville needs to get in May to consider it a successful month? Uh, Dallas Open Cup, he, he proposes, might put a game or two in jeopardy if Nashville doesn't rotate. But uh, you know, Wesley Bryant with another a similar question we won't read here about expectations this month. First of all, what Nashville just did. Of course, they played three of the highest payrolls in the league, Toronto, Atlanta, LAFC. Drew two of those teams, beat another. Toronto payroll, not the best indicator of their quality, of course, but, <laughs> uh, but certainly the talent was there and we saw it just a little bit. It visited Orlando, tough place to win, but did a baseball stadium that was always going to be a tough place. And of course they, they lost that one for me. It's, it's the toughest stretch that Nashville will face this year. There's a tougher stretch in theory coming up, but it's broken up by leagues cup. So Nashville plays Philly and Cincy that takes the leagues cup break and then plays new England and Atlanta. Those are the four toughest consecutive games 
that they will play this year. But the fact that they're broken up by League's Cup, they're going to have some players perhaps get some rest, maybe some rotation in League's Cup, depending on how deep they go. Splitting that stretch down the middle to me makes it a slightly easier proposition uh, than what Nashville just had to do. Uh, that's just that's just my thought there. Yeah, I think the fact that the home heavy nature, and especially that the two toughest games that they just played were both of the home games, that takes a little bit of the sting out of it. But that was probably as tough as it gets. Um, I think LAFC is the best team in the league by by a country mile. I don't think anybody is particularly close to LAFC at this stage, and they will probably get better when when Concacaf um, Champions League ends for them. And that's also the same for a team that factors into what I think could be a tougher run by the end of the year. Um, that's the home stretch at San Jose. Uh, you, you see the name and you don't think that's a tough team, but San Jose has actually been quite good so far this year. And I think they will continue to improve home against Seattle and Orlando. Then you're at Philly and then close at home against Red Bulls. Second time in three years on decision day is the league trying to make fetch happen there. I don't know. Um, Red Bulls might not be the toughest team, but it's a tough stuff to play at the end of a long stretch. We just talked about why teams might hate playing against Alex Wheel. And if you play against 11 Alex Wheels, you're not having a great time, especially when you look at the fact that um, you're playing at Philly, who also plays that um, you know press-heavy, really intense style to play against. Then you have to come home, and if you need points on decision day against Red Bulls, you can't go out there and, and go through the motions because right. they will make sure you earn it. For that reason, I think... It's, it really depends on how good San Jose is towards the end of the year. I think they'll be about where they are now, which is a good but not elite team in the West. And how good Orlando um, ultimately proves to be, they have not been as good as preseason expectations were for them. But I think there's a good chance that they start to catch up with that. Um, Oscar is not going to just kind of mess around and, and have a mediocre team. He's going to go out there and, and get that team playing the way that people expect them to. Whether he does it in time to to be the team that that everyone thought Orlando was coming into the year is a, is a different question. That's a really crappy way to have to close the season. Uh, that is a really tough stretch. No, to... it's an opportunity. Well, it's both. adversity is opportunity. Wes. Well, it's they're playing teams who are going to be in the mix. There's no doubt about that, and a chance to to win some six pointers. Good uh, good job there with the with the therapy session though. That was nice. Adversity <laughs> is opportunity, but it makes stretches like May that much more important. I think May is a moment that if Nashville underachieves. Then we look back on that and say, man, if only they'd gotten points then, because they're going to be tougher to come by in at least a couple of stretches later this season. Here's what's coming up for the boys in gold. Chicago at home. Uh, that's one I think that that I would chalk up as, as a game you need to win. Uh, we'll skip U.S. Open Cup for this exercise. They go to D.C. United, a club that uh, looks good at home against Charlotte, but most teams are looking good against Charlotte. So I think they're certainly beatable. Nashville beat them, of course, in D.C. last year. Miami at home, so many home matches. The Nashville goes to Charlotte and hosts Columbus. That is what is coming up in May. So five matches. Here's how I handicap it. Here's what I think your expectation should be and what your floor of what you absolutely must have is. I think a win against Chicago in both scenarios. That's your expectation. That should be considered the, the floor. Same with DC United on the road. I think you need to win those two matches. You're the better team, quite frankly. In Chicago, you're the better team playing at home. Miami, I think your expectation is a win. Your floor is a is a draw there. Uh, it's a Miami team that on its day can look decent, although they've really had some struggles here lately. Um, we should win, but maybe a draw is okay there. And then Charlotte, draw, Columbus, draw. With, with Is the expectation, the floor, a loss? That looks like 11 points to me in a really good scenario and a floor of around seven points that I think you absolutely need to get out of this but will still be, I think, disappointing for a lot of folks. 
Yeah, I've got a Chicago, a draw or a win. Um, This is not a very good team, but when you have a keeper like Chris Brady who can go out and steal matches and they set up their team to try to steal matches and particularly on the road, I think they will do precisely that. It's whether Nashville can break through in spite of that. That is the question. Um, maybe people are feeling themselves a little bit because of three goals against Atlanta, but keep in mind that this Nashville team has had difficulty scoring. Um, DC's got to be a win, even though it's on the road. Uh, Miami, I think, feels like a win. Charlotte, I, I feel like is a draw and Columbus a loss probably because I think Columbus is one of the better teams in the league result at the weekend, notwithstanding. So I've got eight or 10 points in that stretch, depending on what you think about the Chicago match. Anything better in this team is really cooking. Um, I think the floor can go lower. Obviously, the ceiling can go higher. It's very easy to see the Charlotte game being better than a draw or the Columbus game being better than a loss. Um, so there's a pretty wide range of possibilities, but realistically, I think either eight points or 10 points. And that's um, really good over a five game stretch. Yeah. Two points per game is, is elite. If, if the expectation is 11, if you're expecting uh, 2.2 points per game, uh, you're expecting this to be either the easiest stretch of the season, uh, which I guess is what the question was originally about in the first <laughs> place, but you're either expecting that or you're thinking this team is about to go on a tear and, and make a run for uh, certainly a home playoff game in the Eastern Conference and, and possibly uh, vaulting all the way to the top. Yeah, that's that's what's possible here, I think. And and I think the most important thing is they survived this, this really brutal stretch with a couple of league wins, uh, with a couple of draws and just one loss. Um, there are moments that will be disappointing, but I think the the larger picture, which is what I can tell you Gary Smith looks at too, he doesn't look at, here's what we need out of this match. He says, here's what we need out of this stretch. And he rewards the team, by the way. If they get a certain point, totally gives them uh, days off from training when they have when they have breaks to be able to, to afford to do that. So uh, they're working hard with a lot of motivation themselves to hit those those point projections. And I'd say Nashville did in, in the month of April. They did about what I think was you know required of them. Uh, getting into a couple more questions, going back to tactics, Newton Dominey, good friend of the show. Did you guys notice any particular changes in the tactics in the first match post CJ and Garrick asking a similar question, but then adding, could we see Fafa or Schaff being moved to the nine and starting games there? Like we saw after Teal was subbed off against Atlanta. What I saw, I don't know if it was tactically or if it was just execution. I think Teal was a little more active member of the holdup crew and the pressing crew, more vibrant movement, I think, than Sapong had shown in recent matches and just a little more, you know, incisiveness on the ball. Um, but I don't think that was a tactical tweak. Um, I think it was just more what he's what he's doing well, what he did well <laughs> within the existing system. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. It's not necessarily that that much changed um, in, in terms of how the striker was necessarily used so much as, as Teal just played it a little bit better than Sapong had been recently. Um, to get to the to the main thrust of the question, I don't think his departure had anything to do with it, but this was obviously a press first Nashville team uh, for a good you know 55 to 60 of the 90 minutes. That's different than what Nashville typically does. Again, pressing has been one of Sapong's strengths. So I, it's more coincidental timing wise. It's the opponent that you're going up against at this time. Um, his, if you were there, the, the press would have worked probably the same. Again, we, we can uh, debate and wonder whether he would have been there to finish the goal that Bunbury got, but that's not, that's not necessarily tactical. That's just kind of right place, right time sort of stuff. As for, as for Garrick's other question, Schaffelberg, Picot at the nine, I guess maybe you could see Schaffelberg situationally, um, but but both of those guys really are more who um, players who want to play off of somebody. I think you could say um, the diamond, which is flexible and played out like a four three three sometimes with Hani, almost like a false nine rather than as a, a pure number ten, kind of works in that regard. It allows the the striker pairing 
Uh, I'm doing sarcastic air quotes for those who are <laughs> enjoying this audio medium. Um, the striker pairing kind of played out like wide wingers who are cutting in. And that's something that plays really well for both of those guys. I don't see either of them as, as like a solo striker, except in, in late yeah. game kind of harass the opponent, run out the clock, play heavy counter to, to close out, you know, a, a two nothing lead or something like that. Yeah, look at it as as kind of like what we saw with, you know, Abu Dhanladi in the early days of this club. Could he, in theory, play at the nine in some systems? Yeah. In Nashville system, not exactly where you want to employ him or a or a FAPA. And by the way, just full disclosure, I texted a member of the front office after Pico signing and I said, is Dunladi a comp here? And they said, uh, hell no, basically. Uh, that's not what we <laughs> see. Uh, but then I explained my reasoning and they're like, okay, yeah, you know, a guy who has good speed, who yeah, can fast you know, technically play both places. Sure. Beyond that, no. So that's that's where I'm using the comp here in case those members of the front office are listening to this this podcast and, and have that pushback there. But I, I think the point stands that and I think you made it well. He's a great insertion late when you want speed at the top of the formation, but his best work is going to be wide uh, for this club. Uh, Tim Schwartz, hoping you might discuss the status of Sean Davis on your next podcast. Hasn't been listed on injury reports, hasn't dressed for recent games. John Mead with the same question. Certainly we're used to seeing Sean Davis in the mix. Tim, what do you know about what's going on there? Yeah, Gary Smith mentioned last week that he'd been out and would be out at least through the Atlanta game. I'm surprised that he didn't make the injury report um, or the availability report, I should say, um, because, you know, if you know a guy's going to be out, it's easy to throw them on there and, and make sure you you stay in the good graces of the, of the MLS uh, infrastructure there. But no update beyond that. We won't talk to Gary until later in this week, but barring any setbacks, which as uh, listeners know, there were some with Randall Leal a couple of weeks ago. That is why he did not debut in the Open Cup match. That's why you did not see him on Saturday. However, he is getting closer as well. Both of those guys um, at this stage, obviously Leal's has been a long-term uh, absence, but going forward, neither of them is expected to be a long-term absence. Good to know. Uh, let's hear from a familiar voice. It's Lorea forging forward. And can he get the cross? And he can't suppose that! Yeah, we're going outside in. That's uh, CJ Sapong's goal as called by Tony Husband on Apple TV. And if we'd said that at the outset of this year, you'd have said, oh, that's nice. Tony's back in Nashville. That's great. Mm -hmm. Two familiar uh, uh, people, uh, and they're uh, connected to each other in Canada in this case, as CJ Sapong breaks the scoring drought of 11 months in his debut with Toronto. We've talked about it now at length, I think. But but just to close it out from like the outside in, elsewhere in the league perspective, how does CJ fit what Toronto needs? Uh, I, I mentioned it in this section that was relevant to Nashville, that their strikers have been absolutely terrible and even accumulating XG. Uh, the one thing that I did mention is that, you know, CJ had over, over five expected goals since his last goal, extremely statistically unlikely to do that and not score at all. Um, so the fact that, they weren't generating any expected goals. He's the sort of guy that they need. They need literally anybody who can score. So if he proves to be that, even if he can just get in those dangerous positions and take some of the heat off of um, the Insignes and Bernadeskis of the world, yeah. like he has done for Hani. And, and, you know, we have talked about how his ability to keep Hani a little bit cleaner went unappreciated in his time over the past 11 months. But um, if he can do that, plus add a little bit of the scoring that, that had just dried up for him here in Nashville and not because of a lack of opportunities, then that is exactly what they need because they have they have not been <laughs> good yet. And uh, his first game, they're, they're at 3.0 points per game with, with CJ in the lineup. May it continue until it makes them catch Nashville on the table. 
where the no supporters see CJ score right away. They see Ake Loba have the little spurt that he did in Mazatlan, you know, when he moved down. That's just because that's just because Liga MX is not as strong a league as MLS and people don't want to hear it. I'm not, it sounds like I'm joking and and kind of doing a troll thing that I sometimes (laughs) do, but that is, that is genuine. That, that is the reason that it happened for for Ake there. Wrong words. And we'll see if it can be proven in August in League's Cup with Toluca coming to town and with, you know, a lot of, a lot of showdowns there. But I do like what CJ adds there uh, because of the star power that's around him. I think he'll score more, but yeah. um, I don't think that should be taken as, wow, Nashville really failed him or, you know, anything more than it was drying up and he needed a change of scenery. Let's head to Foxborough. Deflection into by London by across goal! Lifeline for New England Revolution! The uh, most soulless stadium let's let's head to foxborough said people who really want to enjoy themselves and that's been our show for let's go hang out let's go hang out in the parking lots of a mall that's that's the dream really and stream for nashville every time they go to new england and don't score um that was new zealand uh, new zealand wow um (laughs) did go to a great kiwi restaurant by the way in san diego a few weeks ago maybe that's why that was on the brain good fish and chips um New England's equalizing goal, courtesy of Apple TV, against FC Cincinnati, who had a penalty saved and then scored shortly thereafter to take a short-lived lead. And Tim, these two teams reside atop the East. Are New England and Cincinnati the best teams in the East right now, or do you still put Philadelphia ahead of one or both of them? Yeah, Philly's the best team in the East until proven otherwise. And that's I mentioned this about LAFC too. Um, Philly has been rotating their side much more than LAFC has been because of CONCACAF Champions League uh, at, at the time of recording and probably by the time a lot of you are listening to this, uh, it will be the night of the game. Um, the, the One of those teams is no longer going to have to worry about CONCACAF Champions League after uh, Tuesday evening. And I think either of them or both of them, will, well, I guess both of them will be better when when CONCACAF Champions League runs end. For one of them, it will be very soon. And if, the, if it is Philly losing to LAFC tonight, I think Philly is is going to go on a run in the league. Mm-hmm. New England and and Cincinnati have both been pretty good. I, I I won't call Cincinnati a paper tiger like I already called Atlanta one earlier in the show, <laughs> but um they they have been I think uh, results wise better than they have been performance wise at times. New England is just a solid Bruce Arena team, and they they are going to be good. But I also think in the modern era of Major League Soccer, there is a ceiling on that in terms of what you are able to do, both in terms of um, the regular season and the playoffs, obviously they set a points record a couple of years ago under Bruce, um, but failed pretty, somewhat spectacularly in the playoffs. I think that's kind of a ceiling and lesson until new England kind of MLS 4.0 eyes because pretty much <laughs> they just do MLS 2.0. Everybody that, that Bruce works for just does MLS 2.0 and, and is very good, but never great uh, as, as kind of a ceiling. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe they're the ones who bring uh, Buxa back in. <laughs> they know he can perform in, in New England. I think that but if can I he would... do it on a rainy night in Foxborough or whatever? He has many times. But can <laughs> he do it for Nashville in a rainy night in Foxborough? No, that'd be a squirrel straw for sure. <laughs> uh, Philadelphia, it's funny. They're 10th in the table right now. And they have a game in hand. So, you know, if they won that game in hand, they're just a point back in Nashville. For what table standings, you know, are worth early on. I think if I were projecting the end of the year, I'd, I'd switch Philadelphia ahead of Nashville in the finish. And I think Nashville probably finishes ahead of Atlanta United based on their long-term projectability, unless they just spend, you know, $20 million on the transfer window, which they could do. Well, they could, they could do that, but they'll also, 
uh, lose the, one of the best players in the league in, in the process, I would expect the summer window too. So yeah, yeah. he's, he's, uh, they're going to get their payday for him for sure. So I would switch those two entities, I think, and, and put Nashville, I think Nashville sits in fourth right now about where they probably deserve to be and where they wouldn't mind ending up that home playoff game. Um, but I, I do see Philadelphia probably, you know, moving moving ahead and it'll yeah. be tough to catch new england and cincinnati the way they're playing but nashville will of course have chances to do that uh wow fun show loaded show um uh, thank you for those who are still hanging around uh, <laughs> as we get to the final whistle tim i see that you started uh, on two players on buys during fantasy this past week. oh man i had been doing such a good job it this was is two weeks test. in a row that i've forgotten now it was two a test of my hypothesis if i don't mention it on the show you absolutely check your lineup so oh, now man. you can expect him to win this week um, because I've mentioned it. You're still seven and three though. You're right okay, ahead of me in the okay. standings. I'm a solid uh, six and four right now, but looking to to grow from that. And it looks like uh, your team is going to face Mike Meredith this week. So Uh-oh. big showdown against Stones River FC. Mike currently uh, 18th in the table, five and five. Uh, not a pretty picture for a man who takes pretty pictures. <laughs> I'll just, I'll let that one just live the way it lives, man. <laughs> yes, me too. Any, any content that you want to shout out this week before we head out? No, I got to see who smacked me this week. Oh, Joel Huber. Congrats on, on beating me in fantasy. No, shame in that. no I, uh, I want to remind everyone, and this is not a politics podcast, but uh, I want to remind everyone just because, just because it hasn't been a few weeks since there's been a, a mass shooting in Nashville doesn't mean that that things like um, the safety of our community are, are suddenly solved. And I, um, I don't want people to just think about it when it happens and, and at no other time. So if that's something that you're interested in, don't forget that your local representatives or your um, uh, federal representatives as well are people that you need to continue to be in touch with. Yes, the governor is going to call a special session. And I think we can sit here and disagree with uh, with Tennessee's governor on a large number of decisions and issues uh, since he took office. Uh, but even if you agree with him and are in lockstep with, with you know most of what he has done, uh, look, this is an opportunity for a bipartisan solution because this should not be a partisan issue, and it, and it is one right now. And the safety of our children should be above politics, absolutely. And and I want to make one thing clear too, because in you know, the episode following this abject tra- tra- tragedy, um, you know, you were rightfully very angry, pissed, heated, demonstrably so. I was not as demonstrative in my anger, but of course, share the anger and share the passion for finding solutions here. I wear my heart on my sleeve. You, and and you know what? And in this issue, absolutely should. Absolutely should. Um, so... You know, we are all we are all pissed. We are all passionate about finding solutions. You don't have to vote Democrat on every issue to encourage solutions here. And the more we can, it it should not be a a partisan issue. Let's get dogma out of the picture because this tribalism kills people. All right, like tribalism leads us to solutions that aren't solutions. They lead us down a road of division instead of leading us to be creative in finding solutions that work. And we got to put dogma aside on this one. We do. We have to figure out what does the research say? Because this one, Tim, you've said it. It's the the fix is clear here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The guns are the problem. And there are other issues too, but let's start with the guns. And the research tells us this doesn't happen anywhere else. More guns equals more death. 
no amount of dogma gets in the way of that simple reality. We got to get past dogma and tribalism and figure out some solutions. Yep. So thank you for that. I'm not going to recommend anything in the wake of that uh, because I think that's important. I'll I'll join that. Um, contact your legislator, state legislator, federal legislators, um, the governor, uh, and encourage action, specific action. They're going to ask you, okay, so you're for this. What do you propose? What do you propose doing? Have some ideas in mind, whether it's red flag laws or whatever the hell they want to call them. Um, you know, extreme orders protection, whether it's assault weapons bans, whether it's, you know, other, you know, domestic violence or background check, uh, you know, being more thorough in enforcing what's on the books. Um, yeah, there are solutions that will work. None of them will work perfectly. All of them will do something and it's time to do something. Okay. Thanks to ML Rose. Thanks to Moon Taxi. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about the show, follow us each on Twitter. And thanks to the 440 Sports Network for giving us microphones. Tim, anything else before we hop out? No, thanks to everybody. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, like we usually say, tell a friend. Um, much, much more importantly than all that stuff, which is also important. Tell a friend. That's how people hear about us. That's how not only uh, the word about our show gets spread, but the word of, about, you know, what we'd like to believe is intelligent discussion of Nashville SC. Invite them to ML Rose. Tell them about the show while you were there and then look for us. We might be there too. Have a great week.